welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Sierra. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders and to bring you up to date in current literature so that together we can get to the root of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Inspired to follow in her father's footsteps as a dentist, Dr. Graham wanted to impact people's lives in the same manner after graduating from Arizona State University with her Bachelor of Science degree in Spanish and a minor in pre-med sciences. She went on to complete her Doctor of Dental Surgery degree at Marquis University School of Dentistry. Motivated by changing lives through holistic dentistry, Dr. Graham is passionate about helping her patients feel better, look better, and be better. She also loves to get to know those she serves. I learn something from each patient I treat. Different life perspectives help me grow, not only as a dentist, but as a person as well, Dr. Graham says. Dr. Graham loves growing, learning, and engaging, continuing education whenever and wherever possible. She believes her patients deserve the most modern and effective treatments and technologies available. To ensure she's on the leading edge, she's dedicated to Spare and Coys Advanced Learning Centers, the Milwaukee Study Club, the American Association for Cosmetic Dentistry, and she serves as an affiliate faculty member at the Breathe Institute. Dr. Graham also enjoys providing free dental services with the underserved both locally and overseas. I almost said good morning, Dr. Graham, but good afternoon, Dr. Graham. Um, I'm so excited to have you on here. We've been kind of trying to figure out a date for you to come on, and I know it's busy between your practice and your family, so I'm super excited to have you on here and to learn from you and everything that you're involved in. So welcome. Well, thank you. I am, uh, I'm just super excited to have been asked to talk with you. I line of work that I just love getting the opportunity to talk about it, so I guess, thank you right back at you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's start by, if you want to share a little bit of, okay. uh, about yourself with the listeners, how you got into airway. Like I always love to ask everybody, like what was your aha moment? Oh, I love that too. I love hearing aha moments and every once in a while I get to be present for somebody's aha moment. And it's so fun. <laughs> um, I am a general dentist, a restorative dentist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have a um, restorative practice, family practice, um, and started that pretty quickly out of dental school. And I was really unenthused about the profession I chose. I was kind of bored by it. I didn't, I was very technical. I was drilling and filling. And, um, I came across continuing education at the Spear Center and sphere education and was exposed to comprehensive dentistry. And it just opened my eyes to, wow, this is such a cool profession. We have so much impact on people's lives and their health. Um, and it became really, really fun for me. And then during 
um, my spear exposure, I had the, uh, the, uh, the good fortune to listen to Jeff Rouse speak. And I think that Jeff Rouse probably is responsible for <laughs> thousands and thousands of aha moments. Um, but he's one of my favorite mentors and he was absolutely influential in opening my eyes to seeing how impactful, um, airway is on the dentition and vice versa, how the mouth impacts the airway and sleep and systemic health. And then from there got exposed to a lot of other, um, speakers and kind of trickled early on. It was Dr. Zaghi and Rebecca Bacow. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were my early aha moments, I think. Yeah. And how, like, has your practice changed since then? Well, it's funny because Jeff Rouse now during his, I've gotten the opportunity to go back and be a visiting faculty member at his, um, spear workshop. And he says over and over again, just do dentistry. You have to do dentistry because like most dorks that are super excited about a topic, I got home and all I wanted to do was talk about airway. And Uh (laughs) I talked and I talked and I word vomited and, um, gosh, I think I almost put myself out of business (laughs) by stopping to do dentistry and just only talking about breathing and sleep and realized, okay, there's still a lot of dentistry that needs to get done. Um, so at first I didn't know how to implement it into my practice, but eventually I found a rhythm of screening and figuring out what was related to breathing, what was related to sleep and incorporating, um, kind of screening into just my normal routine of exams And then I started recognizing that I really believe that the majority of the restorative work that we do is avoidable. I mean, there will forever be popcorn kernels and people that fall off bar stools. So we'll always have restorative work to be done, but really, truly so much of it could be avoided if we could figure out the source of why people are at risk. Um, Luckily for the profession, there's a lot of people that don't brush and floss, but then I, you know, every six months I would see patients come in and they're doing everything right. And yet there's still such high risk for needing repetitive work. Right. And that so frequently overlaps with breathing and, um, sleep issues that that became my next kind of passion and how I started really focusing on things. So I still do a general dental, dental practice. I still do restorative dentistry, but I now look at things a lot differently and at least invite the patients to um, consider getting to the source of why things are breaking down if they want to. But I've learned how to kind of not word vomit as much and, yeah. only and talk I, about I, it when people are excited. Yeah. And I think that's important. I mean, I, I think, like you said, we all are that way when we come back and we have that aha moment and we like, we want to share this knowledge with everybody. And of course, especially when they come into the dental setting, the last thing they're really expecting to hear about is all of that, right? They're expecting to hear about it from their medical provider. So it's so important that we do learn to meet patients where they are, share with them information that we know they're okay with hearing right now. I feel like in the dental world, we're very good at like reading our patients. Um, So knowing what maybe might be too much for one person, another patient might be able to handle but it is so important. I even, so my myofunctional therapy practice, it's myself and I have a few other therapists that work with me now. And when the ones that come, you know, to work with me just off from taking their intro course, they're that way. They want to tell everybody all the things. And I'm like, look, 
I am so proud of you that you know all the things and you are a thousand percent right. And you're a total rock star and I love you for it, but we have to meet the patients where we are. We can't scare them away. So maybe we start with the most important thing and we build that trust with them. And as they're like, oh, wow, that makes sense. You're right. Okay. I was always wondering why, you know, X, Y, and Z then we can tell them more. But I, I, so I totally get that because we all feel that way in the beginning. Like we want to tell everybody everything. And then we're like, oh crap, I totally just scared them away. (laughs) Well, and that's, that's important too, because not only are you not getting to do the work that you're so excited about doing that person now has possibly now taken that treatment that would benefit them off the table forever for this, for their, their course of self-care, you know? So I think it is, intended to be helpful, but can be really scary and off-putting. And I've talked about that with my associate dentist who is amazing. I love her. And, you know, she said, I don't really know where to start talking about sleep and breathing. Um, and one of my dear friends, and I call her a mentor because I'm always learning from my friends, Margaret Frankel, she's in Ohio, told me, you know, do the dentistry, just like Jeff Rouse says, Mm -hmm. do the dentistry. And then when you're done doing the dentistry, talk to them about why they needed it and talk to them about risk factors for preventing needing to do it later. And obviously that doesn't work in every situation, especially when you're talking about orthodontic expansion or having to do stuff first, but so often it doesn't have to be part of the conversation until they're ready to hear it. Right. So I think that giving your, giving your myofunctional therapist that advice early on is a huge gift to them. Yes. Because I mean, I made those mistakes, right? Like I was, it was just me in the beginning. I told everybody all the stuff that I was thinking in my head. And then I learned the hard way when they were like, didn't want to sign up because they were super overwhelmed. And I'm like, Oh man, I lost so many, so many patients (laughs) and team members just from, you know, just being too excited, I think, and not too excited, but just going all in before people were ready to join me. Now, how is it in your area as far as like, building that collaborative team. Is that, Oh, it's so fun. Um, I, I mean, patient care is always so fun. If I could just have a day of doing exams or doing a review of findings or just sitting and connecting with patients, that's my favorite part of my job. And that sounds so cliche and cheesy, but it's true. The other part of this journey that's been equally, I would say equally now as enjoyable is creating collaborative connections. And that also sounds cliche and cheesy, but really finding other people and working with them and realizing that not one of us out there can do things on our own, that so many times patients need a team approach is really fun. I mean, it's also really hard, especially when people aren't ready to hear what you have to say or think that what you're doing is voodoo. Um, So some of it's, you know, not all beauty and fun, but it's really great to connect with people and figure out how you can coordinate care and Mm -hmm. bring more and more treatment options to our community. Because I don't know how it is where you are, but to me, it always seems like things take a little bit longer to get to the Midwest. They always start on the coast and then trickle in. Oh gosh. The same thing. I mean, I'm on the East coast in Connecticut and I mean, New York, maybe they happen a lot sooner, but takes a little bit longer. I mean, it took me a while to be busy with my myofunctional therapy practice. I've had it for six years now. And in the beginning, every, I don't know, 10 doors I knocked on, maybe one even wanted to listen to me. Um, but you know, you don't give up and that's, that's I'm starting to get some, you know, really great connections with referrals and consistent referrals and working with other colleagues here. But I find that the most consistent people that ask for the help are patients. 
And so Mm -hmm. I think that there's a hunger for wanting solutions to problems that other therapies aren't connecting with. And so I think that that's really helpful. And now I've kind of put more focus on connecting with um, auxiliary providers, like body workers and people that are going to have access to patients that might be more receptive to what we can offer. Oh my gosh. A thousand percent. And it's so fun. It's so fun to connect with other providers. Like you, you know, we were talking earlier, like to totally like dork out with them. And it's so exciting. Like, I feel like I, my voice changes to like a five-year-old girl who's like ready to open presents on Christmas morning. That's how excited (laughs) I get. But honestly, I'm like, I, I just connected with an ENT like two weeks ago who like was talking to me about myofunctional appliances. And I was like, wait a second. I'm like, I'm so excited to talk to you. (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, remind me later, we don't have to take up time on the podcast, but I want to circle back because I think when I met you in Atlanta, we were talking to an ear, nose and throat doctor. Yes. Yes. Dr. Catalano in Boston. Yes. Yes. I want to circle back to you about him later. Yes. 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 I was so impressed with his lecture. Oh my God. It was so, so great. And, um, but I, what I would, uh, would love to talk about next and something that we talked about earlier is the importance of being able to reach all patients and having that access of care for all patients, because a lot of what we do, especially myofunctional therapists, I know for myself is I, I'm private practice, so I don't accept any insurances. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really kind of a, a pendulum of emotion for me because, um, I'm a business owner and I want to, I want to have a successful business. And I, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of profit, but at the same time, I got into what I do, not only from a financial perspective, but also from a service perspective. Mm -hmm. And as we start to look at, well, my belief that the amount of dentistry that I do is avoidable. And if you trace back the why far enough, if we could get to figuring out a solution to get people on a different growth trajectory early on, wouldn't that be great? Because so often if people are going to have access to care issues early on, they're going to have access to care issues for the rest of their, uh, the rest of their life or the majority of their life, which is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately really true. So if we could figure out a way to get these services to people that don't have consistent resources, don't have the funds or the means to pay for out-of-pocket services, that would be something that would be so influential in changing the, the trajectory of need for dental work and systemic work, but, or systemic health things, but I really stay focused on the dentistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would eliminate some of the access to care issues down the road. It's not going to eliminate all the need. It's not going to necessarily affect diet and habits and things like that. But from a growth and a growth and breathing perspective, I think we could influence people really early on. Absolutely. And something that you also mentioned, and I I think Dr. Catalano talked about this too, now that you brought up Dr. Catalano, um, (laughs) having like screenings in the school system. Well, the whole I've thought about this off and on for a few years now. It always kind of circles back to it. And like, I give away treatment too much, maybe according to my accountant and to some of my team members. <laughs> but, you know, even if let's say I was a bleeding heart and I had the means to keep my practice open without having to worry about profit, I could only touch so many people. 
Mm -hmm. I'm only one person and I only have access to however many hours in a day. It's Mm -hmm. not enough. This is such a huge epidemic of mouth breathing and poor sleep and issues that stem from those topics that how can we get, get there sooner? I'm on um, a task force. That's a branch of the AAPMD called the Endeavor. And its whole focus Mm -hmm. is um, screening and providing care to kids under six, under seven. Um, and we don't have a lot of solutions yet, but we're really working hard on it. I can't believe I get to be on, um, phone calls with some of the people that are on there, but, you know, so they've, they've stemmed some, some ideas and, you know, makes me think about it. But the other day, my daughter, my five-year-old came home with a trifold brochure from her, her nature school, her preschool, and it was a vision screening. I probably missed an email that said it was going to happen, but, um, (laughs) all the kids had a vision screening and the brochure said what was done during the screening. And it told the results of the screening and what those meant and then resources for what they should be, what should be done next. And I was thinking, gosh, if we're trying to prevent blindness or making sure that every kid that can't see gets glasses, why can't we do that with breathing and growth? Mm -hmm. Yes. We can't go into elementary schools and do expanders on every single kid, but could the speech pathologist be trained to help with functional exercises? Could we get habit correctors or myomunchy type appliances in the hands of little kids that, you know, would truly impact their outcome if they were able to do things consistently and repetitively early on? I don't know. It's a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas and a lot of brainstorming, but no, I no uh, answers yet. And, and you had mentioned something about like an, uh, an after school camp, or was that the vision thing that you were talking sure. about? No. So w- w- one, one of the things that we are doing right now is we have an after school we're starting, we did it this summer and it was pretty successful. It was met with, um, some positive feedback. My myofunctional therapist, Bonnie ha- hosted a summer camp. Um, it's called fun camp Mayo and it was virtual. Uh Um, and because I think that people are so accustomed to virtual activities now, it worked out well. Um, and everyone got a kit in the mail and it was a 45 minute, um, session, I think for five or six weeks Mm -hmm. and, um, they did group activities and it's on, it's on zoom. So it's not perfect. And she's not able to do one-on-one therapy or I give an individualized treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So it's not a replacement for therapy, but it's a really cool intro to what myofunctional therapy is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a nice refresher and a way to make it fun for kids, especially that have done myofunctional therapy in the past. Um, and you know, I don't know what kind of, what kind of, um, long-term effects it might have, but it's a nice touch point. So we're going to try it again this, this winter, um, every Monday in January, we're doing music and myo. So it's going to have a musical, it's going to have a musical theme to it. Um, yeah. And you know, and so it's, it's a discounted rate. It's not a full fee for what you'd pay a therapist. And I think it would be beneficial, but I, you know, someday I think that every dental practice could have a hygienist and a myofunctional therapist where you're checking in Mm -hmm. every three to six months to revisit bad habits that you pick up or, for sure. things that you could currently be working on. I can create space structurally and I can mm-hmm. free restricted tongues, but if people aren't functional functioning appropriately, they're never going to have, you know, sufficient outcomes. Right. 
Yeah. And I, I did something similar with a, a dentist local to me. We did it over this summer. Same thing. It was like a discounted rate. And I was, I was hesitant at first to do it because like we, we all know, obviously with anything individualized is always better, but something's better than nothing. And these, and that's, yes, did, exactly. And I think I, I think that was what I finally kind of came to terms with. Like it's, if it's not the best is something okay. And I, I really think that we're not doing harm. So yes, I do. I think that that's better than nothing. We we let the parents know ahead of time, like, you know, typically this is a individual, you know, type of program. And honestly, what ended up happening, a couple of the kids that struggled more so because they were a little more complex, whether they had a tie or, or what have you, the parents came to see okay, maybe they do need this individualized treatment. So we kind totally. of like, you know, took that credit from what they paid for that and like put it towards their, um, individual program. But, um, <clears throat> I think that it's, it's, it's such a great idea. And especially even for like the younger ones who maybe even wouldn't even do so good in an individual program right now, because they're, they're just too young, but doing something right now is going or, to help or mimicking, mimicking a sibling and doing yeah. it along with them. And Totally. Totally. I love that. Now, if I could run the world, I would have every kid walk out of the hospital with (laughs) not a sippy cup, like an open, open mouth cup and a toothbrush and a Mayo munchie. And then (laughs) going forward, they would see their hygienist every six months and their myofunctional therapist frequently, you know, that would be so easy. (laughs) We got to do it. It's going to happen. Let's do it. We're going to make sure it happens. Um, so in your, your practice, do you do, um, you have a tongue tied part to your practice, right? Is it a separate entity or? Yes. So it started, it started with, I came back from Jeff Ross's class and then every other class after that, and, you know, tried to implement what I learned into my restorative practice. And I still have a lot of overlap with, you know, treatment between the two, but I ended up at first carving out specific days that I was doing tongue tie releases or doing specific airway focused uh, screening or, orthodontic, um, consults and things like that. And eventually, um, I, I created an actual separate business for it to make it easier to refer patients in, um, for those specific treatments so that they could continue to have their dental home with their dentist, but still come to see me created less confusion. My, my dental practice is called Lake park dental. You know, it's a pretty generic term. So to have, somebody referred to Lake Park Dental for sleep issues or breathing issues or tongue tie issues created some confusion. Right. And so now we've created a separate entity um, and we're working on um, a second location. And I have a feeding therapist, two feeding therapists that work with me on Tuesdays that work with the babies because I recognized that I'm limited in my ability to help. Right. I can only do the structural part of things. And then I was able to get my myofunctional therapist. And now I have an ear, nose and throat doctor who's double board certified as a sleep physician who's there. Um, and so it's really, really, oh really fun um, to be able to collaborate right within the same practice. And we also work with feeding specialists and myofunctional therapists that aren't within my practice, but for some patients, it is nice to have kind of a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. And so, tell fun. us the name of your uh, tongue tie Oh, center. thank you. Oh, sure. Of course. It's um, Untethered Airway Health and Tongue Tie Center. I hemmed and I hawed about putting tongue tie in the name of my practice uh-huh. because I think that the word tongue tie is such a buzzword. And I, of course, I believe in tongue ties. I release them. Right. Um, 
but it's not so simple as releasing a restricted tissue. And there's so much confusion about what that restricted tissue might be, but it does generate people referring themselves in because they know they have a problem and they think maybe it's a tongue tie. And then I can help with them co-diagnose and figure out the functional issues that we can actually treat. And then um, um, like ortho wise, do you guys do ortho in the office or how does that work? Yes. And I work with orthodontists as well. So I really am careful to make sure that what I'm treating I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been doing more and more advanced training for adult expansion and non-surgical treatment for expansion to create more room. But I, of course, can't do everything. And so I work with orthodontists and surgeons as well. And then for little kids, it's hard to find orthodontic practices that are able to expand narrow, really little kids. And so some of my colleagues are fantastic and love to work on little kids. And then for the ones that aren't comfortable, I'm more than happy to treat in the primary dentition, mm-hmm. um, and do either a pre-phase one or a phase one orthodontic treatment. So you do it all. I do. I do it a lot, but I also am getting better and better recognizing what I just shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. but I-, I do feel compelled to provide service that needs mm-hmm. to be done if there's no one else doing it. So I'll figure out how to, how to learn it, to do it. If no one else here will do it. And that's no, kind of how I fell into some of it. Now, as far as tongue ties go prior, yeah. so prior to you getting into like airway and everything, I guess the question I'm trying to get to is like, did you release ties prior to learning about all this airway stuff? And then nope. how did, how have your releases changed? Um, I didn't do it. I was of the mindset that unless you're nursing and having problems or, mm-hmm you know, having speech issues, tongue ties didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that tongue ties could change the shape of the face. And, um, so my exposure to tongue tie surgery and diagnosis of tongue ties really didn't happen until after I understood their role in all of it. Um, I will say that my, I was so lucky to be introduced to Suresh Zaghi, who's, Mm -hmm. um, a friend and mentor. And, you know, he really taught me and teaches everyone that he is in front of that function is so important. So you don't just snip, I call him a clip and go, you know, it, it's not just cutting what you see. It's making sure that you're adequately releasing the restriction, but also not just getting in there and being super aggressive and releasing the entire floor of the mouth. You really have to know what you're looking for. And when the tongue dissociates from the floor of the mouth is where you stop. So I think that, I don't know that my technique has changed a ton, but I'm constantly learning. And mm-hmm. in fact, um, I did a, a surgical proctorship with Dr. Zaghi a few years ago. I'm going to go shadow him, um, next month just to make sure that I'm staying on top of doing things the right way and not just assuming that things haven't changed. Right. Absolutely. And what's your take on, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, lip ties and buckle ties past infancy? I don't know. I, I, I'm getting really comfortable with saying, I don't know. Um, (laughs) because I think that there's so much that we as a profession don't know yet, Mm -hmm. but I do think, um, that there are restricted lips that absolutely change the way we, we swallow. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that there is restricted fascia that pulls on 
um, muscles of mastication. So I do think that there is a high likelihood that there are are issues with restricted tissue outside of nursing, um, that we're unaware of. So I treat, um, restricted lips in big kids and adults, um, when I feel that there is a compensation Mm -hmm. that it's causing, but it's definitely not a black and white statement of, I treat all of them or I don't treat any of them. Now I'm assuming you, you probably do sutures. I prefer to. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for my infants, I use the light scalpel CO2 laser. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually bought it specifically for infants Mm -hmm. and for adults. I was trained with Dr. Zaghi when he was only doing adults with scissors and blunt Mm -hmm. dissection. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know he's doing more and more with the laser now. And I think that as long as the release is thorough, that's the biggest issue and the functional component is addressed. Um, but if I have the ability to place sutures in order to get healing by primary intention, I want to do that. But the reason why there was some ambiguity in the way I answered that is there are some kids that I would rather use whatever time I have of them being cooperative and participating in the procedure. Um, to do an adequate release and I'm not going to hold somebody down to get the sutures in. So, yeah, yeah, of course, a thousand percent. And, um, it's funny because on the myofunctional therapy side, I like, I feel so often we get the question, well, isn't laser best or like, doesn't it have to be laser? And, you know, I have release providers that do both that do a mixture. And it, it literally is just what you said. It's the skill of the provider behind the tool and not so much the tool. I have oh, absolutely another uh, provider also trained with Dr. Zaghi prior to him starting to use the laser more. <clears throat> so he still does it how he was trained and his releases are fantastic, but there is this definitely. And I'm sure just through parents reading on Facebook groups and the internet, of course, thinking that, oh no, it has to, has to, has to be laser. And I, I I'm like, I can't tell you one way or another, because as long as it's an optimal release, we're good. We might have yeah. to, you know, depending if there's sutures or not sutures, that's going to kind of affect how we're going to do our post-op therapy, but that's really the only difference. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, is the word laser is confusing because there's erbium lasers, there's the CO2 laser, there's the diode laser, and they all have completely different physics and how they work. And, you know, they have pros and cons for, for the actual way that they cut the tissue. So I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. I've had a couple of patients in the last, you know, few years, I can count on one hand that have really been adamant that they wanted me to use my CO2 laser. And I said, it doesn't matter to me. That's I'm happy to do that because the majority of my release is with Q-tips. It's blunt dissection of fascia. It's not cutting. So sure. However you want me to open the floor of the mouth is fine. (laughs) Um, and I don't mean that sounded, (laughs) that sounded kind of dismissive, but like, I I think I'm agreeing with you. It just doesn't matter. Totally. Totally. And then another question on tongue ties. Um, I will say I'm going to put a little, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm going to put one little asterisk on that conversation. I do think it matters with infants. Well, I think there's a higher, I think that there's a higher incidence of scarring in certain situations or a harder chance. It's harder to do the release fully with certain instruments. So I, but again, I think you could argue with me that it's really the, the skill set of the provider, but right. I do think infants are slightly different. 
Yeah. And I, I, I would agree with you too. Now the C, so you got your CO2 laser specifically for infants, for your tethered oral tissues. Yep. I did. And I, I, I like, use it for other things now. I love it, but I, that was why I purchased I it. I like your statement too, that you made about, um, the lasers because <clears throat> I just had, sorry, I, my throat is dry. Let me just take a sip. <laughs> I just interviewed, um, Dr. Vitrick yesterday, two days ago. I don't even oh, know. I love point. him. Yeah. And he was saying how, you know, a laser, a laser isn't a laser. It like they're different and totally so they're so, and one of the questions I asked him, because I get this question a lot from other, uh, myofunctional therapists working with doctors who maybe are using whatever, whatever laser, that's not a CO2 laser and trying to nicely explain to them why the CO2 laser really is best for releasing tethered oral tissues without kind of like insulting them that they might be using this laser. That's like, you know, scorching the tissue or whatever it's doing. Or at least keeping in mind, if you're going to use a different instrument, what the risk factors are and be ready to adapt your post-operative care to handle those risks. Right. Right. But yeah, that's always a tough one. If I have like a patient that finds me online and they're like, oh yeah, we found this, you know, doctor that's going to do a release with, um, oh my God, why am I blanking? Not an erbium laser. Um, name another type of laser. The diode. The diode. Thank you. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, all right. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I, let me talk to the provider. Just, I want want them to know. And I want to understand what their, you know, post-operative instructions are, what ours are going to be, how we're going to kind of collaborate together. But it is always a tough position to be in when like in the back of my mind, you know, I now have listened to Dr. Vitrick speak so many times and learning a little bit more about and understanding the differences in the lasers and truly understanding that really for tethered oral tissues, a CO2 laser is best. It always makes me feel like, ah, well, how am I? Okay. I don't really know. I can't give my opinion. I mean, I can't, right. you know what I mean? It's like a very awkward position sometimes to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't really quite imagine that for you. Cause I get to, I get to be a little bit more vocal about it. Cause I'm the one providing this, the treatment with what I think to be the best instrument. (laughs) So I think that that's probably a really tricky spot for you to be in. It is. So sometimes, you know, we just unfortunately have to hope for the best and really tackle that post-op. Well, and I think that you can get, I truly think that there are really good results with other lasers. And even though I don't think that the diode is truly a laser, but you know, the, there are really good results, but you have to understand that it's a higher risk and that it might have not as likely of a good result. I mean, my God, when we think about midwives in the fourth century, cutting tongue ties with their fingernail, mm-hmm. you know, the diode's probably better than that. So I think <laughs> you can still get some functional improvement, of course, but then I think that you, the parents and the therapists really need to be focusing on scar management and counteracting the constriction of the wound healing, because you're going to be dealing with excessive like charred tissue. Yeah. And the other interesting thing, I I also had, um, Sarah Hornsby on a month or two ago. Um, and we love her too. Everyone you're mentioning, I just love them. (laughs) We were talking about all the work that the breathe Institute's doing right now in regards to kind of figuring out maybe a way to grade like floor of the mouth compensation. 
And I find it, I just, that whole topic I find to be so interesting because when I first became a myofunctional therapist, that wasn't something we really looked at. So Mm -hmm. of course, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, how many patients did I do like, you know, my range of motion measurements on. And according to this number, you know, they really didn't, their range of motion looked great, but their whole floor of the mouth was lifting up kind of the same idea. When you first get into airway, you're like, well, how many patients went through my chair that I didn't see X, Y, and Z on. So the whole floor of the mouth thing really intrigues me. And I hope that they come up with some kind of grading system. Cause sometimes that can, Oh, be- they will. Oh yeah. If it needs to get done, they'll get it done. The Breathe Institute's amazing. Because that sometimes could be difficult to explain to a patient. I mean, I literally just show them and I'm like, okay, I want you to take your finger and hold down the floor of your mouth. And now I want you to see how you can move, you know, your tongue. But then like Sarah was saying, you have to think about, well, how far, how much pressure do you put on into the floor of the mouth or, you know, how much is too much floor of the mouth compensation. So it's really, and what muscles are actually activating. There's so many muscles in the floor of the mouth. It's not, I don't think it's always the same. Right. Right. So, and are they using neck muscles that are making the floor of the mouth move? Yeah. That's such an interesting point. Cause we, you know, we did make a big advancement way by recognizing the compensation, but let's go further and now break Mm -hmm. down the compensation. That's cool. Yeah. I'm really excited for all of that. And like you said, I'm sure they'll, they'll do it. It'll probably be done by the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) They'll get it done and they'll, they'll test it and they'll do research. And yeah, it's such an amazing, amazing thing that they're providing for the entire profession by getting the research done when it doesn't exist. Yeah. I just had a, I had a meeting earlier with a group of ENTs and you know, talking to them about tongue tie. And I always make sure anytime that I talk with ENTs to send them all the research that's done by Dr. Zaghi, because it's another ENT, you know what I mean? So I'm excited to hear their feedback. I literally just sent the email before we, before we hopped on. Um, so how, so are these local ENTs that you're hoping to work with? Yeah. Yeah. So one of my patients, did they already, I can't, I can't even think right now how I got connected with this ENT. I think one of my patients had their tonsils and adenoids removed by a particular ENT. So I had reached out to him and he was like, yeah, let's chat on the phone. So we did. And he's like, oh, you should meet, you know, all of his associates and stuff. So we all kind of hopped on a call. Um, that's my favorite. And that was the first thing I said to them, like nothing makes me more excited than being able to just collaborate and hearing, you know, other providers being open to hearing what I have to say, right? Like they have busy, busy, busy schedules and they're taking the time because some people will be like, I'm not going to talk to a myofunctional therapist. I mean, they shouldn't think that way, but some do. Um, so I always tell them my favorite type of providers and the only providers that I will refer to or ones that I know will pick up a call and get on the phone with me and talk about a patient. For sure. You don't have those open lines of communication. It's you're just not going to provide the most optimal care that you can. So no, and then they're going through a bunch of stuff and you know, they're not going to get their full results. Um, that's really cool that you have that. I just think it's so important for all professions, but you know, medical professions and getting even more particular to our scope and our, our patients that are willing to learn and think outside of what they can offer because the body doesn't read a textbook. They don't know what Mm -hmm. part of the body we learned. You know, it's so important to think outside of the box. And I have so much respect for people that will say, I don't know, as opposed to no, that's not the case because, Mm -hmm. you know, we just keep learning more and more. That's really great that you found that group. I I feel really lucky to have access to my, my, 
ENT here for the same reason that he's willing to kind of think outside the box and realize that he can't mm-hmm. provide everything. And I think and there's a lot of pressure on people to do that. Yeah. And like what you said earlier, something you said, like I'm getting, you know, uh, more able to say, like, I don't know, like being okay with answering. I don't know. And I think you have to, because you have to accept that you don't know everything and it's okay to not know everything, but you want to learn it. And so when I was talking to them and I was like, I, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with myofunctional therapy, like how basic you want me to get with it. Or if you have experience and they were like, listen, we, we don't know. We don't, we don't know much about it. We've seen some reports come over for myofunctional therapists. So yes, tell us, start from the beginning. So it was just cool that they, you know what I mean? Because some providers egos are too big for that. (laughs) Well, I think it's, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's an ego component. But I also think there's a lot of responsibility. Like you see somebody and you want to fix them and you want to be the, you want to, you want to provide answers. And for whatever reason, we feel like we have to do it on our own mm-hmm. and, you know, to be able, and then, then when you don't solve everyone's problems, then there's this guilt or this like, oh man, I, I failed that person. It's like, right. you don't have to fix it all. There's other people out there that can also mm-hmm. help. Um, I, you mentioned tonsil and adenoid removal. So I wanted to actually get your take on this. Um, I've been trying to get my ear, nose and throat doctors here in Milwaukee to not do the tongue tie release while they do tonsil and adenoid removal for a couple of reasons. You know, I understand it in the age group where I, you know, we can't do it in the office, Mm -hmm. but that surgery is such a hard thing to recover from. And I really think that the outcome of the tongue tie surgery really depends on the post-operative exercises. And so if they're compromised because they're sore, they're going to have a higher likelihood of scarring. And then second, if the patient is asleep, how do you know what's enough in a release if you can't watch their function or holding suction or moving their tongue around? So I know sometimes that's unavoidable and that's not Mm -hmm. always going to be the case, but when there is an option, I think it's so much better to um, separate those two procedures. What do you think about that? Am I I, way off on that or maybe overthinking it? I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I think, like you said, if you know that you're not going to get a good release in the chair because they're just not mature enough yet. And you know, that releasing them now is going to be better than waiting then. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Let's do it. But I, 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 I do agree with that. I mean, the likelihood that they're going to be their very best with their post-operative care when they're already dealing with the post-operative stuff of the surgery, it's hard. Um, so I think it's very family specific, which I'm sure you find a lot of things to be too, and what you think they can handle or not handle. But to your second point, yeah. I mean, if you can't, you know, ask the patient to stick their tongue in and out, hold that suction, um, and really be able to assess them functionally, then how do you know that you're, you know, you're getting enough, but not everybody also, I feel like is trained that way. So they don't, it's not really something they think about. Right. No, exactly. And I used to get really frustrated. Like, how can you not, how can you not say that? Or how can you not know that? And then I realized if you don't know it, you can't see it. And then you right, can't right. offer that solution. I had an interesting conversation with a patient who I treated yesterday. He's a friend of mine, but I released his tongue yesterday. And he said, you know, you told me that I had to be able to hold my suction for three minutes. And so I worked really hard at being able to hold my suction. And he's like, you didn't ask me to do that. And I said, oh, that's really interesting feedback. And I said, would mm-hmm. you have been as diligent about doing it, if I wouldn't, would have told you, I wasn't going to have you hold it that long. And he said, no, probably not. And I said, well, let me tell you why I think it's so important to be able to hold it. 
that mm-hmm. long. And the, anal- the analogy, I'm always using analogies and they're always pretty poor, but the one <laughs> that I use often is like a bodybuilder when somebody's really, really toned, you can see the differentiation of all the anatomy. You can see the muscle fibers, you can see the veins, you can see mm-hmm. everything that you need to see. And the same thing I think happens at the floor of the mouth with, well, I, know, I don't think, I know that the same thing happens in the floor of the mouth. The restricted tissue moves anteriorly, the vasculature moves, the muscles become toned. And so it's just much more likely that I'm going to be able to do an adequate release if I can see really well. And just like somebody that's not a bodybuilder, that's kind of mushy and all the anatomy mixes together. If you open the floor of the mouth and they're not toned and ready, it's a much more complicated, dangerous surgery. And because I don't want to create unnecessary risk, I'm probably not going to do as adequate of a release because I'm not going to blindly release tissue. So he thought that was an interesting perspective, but he, I think he was still a little bit frustrated that I made him hold his section for three minutes and didn't have him show it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that your analogies are not poor. That was literally okay, thank you. <laughs> like, when I, when I released the episode, I always pick like a, a, a minute long little snippet to post on social media. And I am a thousand percent using what you just said. That was, I tell you like one of the most interesting things anybody's ever said in all of the, I think I have like 63 episodes. That wow. So great. That analogy. I'm totally using that. I will credit you. I promise. But I am well, using thanks. that. With I everybody. just think that I <laughs> now I really, I don't know what I don't call picking it up from somebody else. So if somebody listening to this is like, that's somebody else's quote, make sure that you give them credit. Cause I don't, I think I made it up though. Um, but I do think it's a nice visual because the floor of the mouth is so like no one really knows what's underneath there. And so when they can, when the patient can start to understand, you've got the same type of anatomy under here. And most of them don't want to see the video ahead of time of what we're actually doing. And I don't recommend it, but I think you could probably visualize it as a myofunctional therapist for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was super great. I I, I literally love that analogy. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap things up? Oh, I don't know, probably something really profound and motivational, but I don't, I don't know. I just think that kind of what the theme of this whole talk has been is just keep learning and keep digging and keep connecting the dots and having aha moments, because I think there's not just one aha moment. I think there's a lot of them. Oh my gosh. A thousand percent. I couldn't agree more with that. Thank you, Dr. Graham, so much for coming on and taking the time with me. It's literally, been oh, I'm so honored to have been asked and chatting with you. I can chat about this forever. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My Maya Y. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at bsierra.omt at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology and Instagram handle CT underscore oral facial underscore myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.